It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser the day I was born Hey folks, I'm KP Burke. You know what that means. It's time for American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. With you, uh, where are we coming from, Dad? We're coming from none other than Bellworks in Homedale, New Jersey. You know it. Mike and Ming taking great care of us here at a shared universe. Universe studio. Homedale. All right, folks. No more eating town for us. We moved on up to the east side. <laughs> to that deluxe <laughs> Bell Laboratory in the sky. sky. <laughs> But you guys know the voice uh, over there. My Dilf of a dad is in the building. So how are you, guy? Oh, we're just doing wonderful, Kevin. If I was doing to, any better, we'd have to be twins. We're I just, was about to say. We're I, great. I'm not your Dilf of a dad, <laughs> but I you, could be. <laughs> <laughs> I am adopted. That's true. Uh, behind the ones and twos, you know that voice. The big kahunas in the building. What's folks. going on, man? How you doing? <laughs> uh, good to have you back in here, buddy. Always. Um, always. Yeah, we were just comparing schedules. You got a lot of stuff going on in the Clerks universe right now, which I'm pretty excited about. I do. About. It's it's bizarre. It's kind of fun, though, man. It is fun, but if you would have told me this is what I'm doing five years ago, you'd probably even more. I would have laughed in your face. I would have blatantly just laughed in your face. Well, if they had told me five years ago that the most successful thing I would do is a podcast with my dad about history... <laughs> I don't know if I would have gotten out of the military. All right? I think <laughs> we would have just persevered. But. but then in the alternate universe, you and I would have never have met. Oh, that's true. Now we're playing. That's right. Yeah, it's a- That's weird, right? Star-crossed. It's a butterfly effect. If I don't roast O'Halloran, I don't know Kahuna. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we have a great time here on the show. It's, if it's a new episode for you, what we do is we cover weird topics from American history. And if you're a regular and you're on board, well, you know what the deal is, all right? Thanks for being here. It means a lot to us. And if you want to help us out over on the Patreon, for as little as three bucks a month, you can go ahead and get the bonus episode we give you at the end of every month. You get three for free. And then the fourth one, we just ask you to go ahead and throw us a, you know, three bucks for. It's less than a dollar an episode, really, at that point. You want to donate a little bit more, I certainly do appreciate it. But those episodes are exclusive over on the American Loser Patreon. Thank you so much for that. That being said, we've got a topic we want to dive into, and it's a pretty good one, LP. Yeah, you said it was weird topics, and not necessarily weird, just maybe uh, glossed over in your U.S. History 1 and 2 uh, history book from uh, from high school or whatever, but sometimes uh, a little bizarre, sometimes uh, unknown, sometimes uh, just out and out weird. But uh, When your history teachers don't know the answer to some of these questions... And we do have some students that listen, some college students, I think a couple of high school, maybe recently graduated high school students um, that listen to this. And it's an interesting one because when you start to talk about the end of the American Civil War, you often think of Appomattox Courthouse, images of uh, Ulysses S. Grant accepting the surrender of one Robert E. Lee. That's about as iconic of a moment in American history as it gets. Most people think that that would be the end of the war, uh, but learned folks, you know, like listeners of this here old podcast. There you go. Yeah, they know a little bit more than most. They know that the war continued for a short time afterwards because Lee was only able to surrender what army, Dad? The army of Northern Virginia. So the, the pride of the Confederacy, if you will, right. is surrendered on that date at Appomattox Courthouse. True, I mean, that, that really is when 
the, at the beginning of the end of the end of the beginning to quote Robbie Robertson from the band. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was definitely uh, the moment was over. However, the fight continued on for a little bit of time. So uh, what I even didn't know until reading about today's loser is that the Confederate Navy, which really gets glossed over, uh, more people should know about that and more people should know about the this particular story of the CSS Shenandoah and its captain, a guy by the name of James Waddell. Are you serious? That's what it's called? The USS, Sh- I'm sorry, the Shenandoah. CSS Shenandoah? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hi, folks. This is the Big Kahuna. This episode of American Loser has been edited because I don't want you all to know my uh, personal details there. Uh, so you get to listen to my sultry voice for an extra couple of seconds. Da, 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 da. Uh, edit over. I thought you were going to burst into song there, Kahuna. No, 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 no song. This one's just weird. I mean, I can give you a song. No, I can't. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> this particular Shenandoah is going to be a ship, though. And in order to tell this story, you have to tell a few other stories. All right. That, that's good quality loser fodder. And we have to unpack it a little bit. So in short, I'm going to start with July 3rd, 1824. James Iredell Waddell is born in North Carolina. Waddell would become a midshipman after being accepted into the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. So born in North Carolina, but serving his country out of the finest naval institute on planet Earth. Uh, Annapolis, right? <laughs> uh, pretty cool place. You ever been to Annapolis, Coons? No, I don't think so. You got to go at least once. It's pretty awesome. Yep. Had a, you know, we had a couple family trips there, a couple of scouting trips there. Yep. Uh, got my buddy, uh, I can't say his name actually. He gets a little upset sometimes because he's he's in a particular group now in the, the United States that, Navy. Right. That doesn't really exist. Yeah, but. we can't exactly talk about him. <laughs> Do they have a particular set of skills? Yeah, oh, he certainly right. does. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, it's a pretty cool thing. So he winds up over there. Uh, he becomes a midshipman. And after graduating from the academy and joining what is on its way at the time to becoming the world's finest Navy, Waddell would serve honorably for 20 years as a United States Naval officer. He would see action during the Mexican-American War, specifically in Veracruz. Dad, was there some sort of a group of maybe rebellious, cannon-loading Cannon firing uh, type guys. San, Pri- San Patricios. That's right. Loserception, folks. He's actually involved in the naval engagement on the uh, American side, fighting the San Patricios who are fighting for the Mexican side in the U.S. war with Mexico. Is this a new record for the earliest loserception we've had? It's up there pretty quick. It's right yeah. in right in, in the well, early, this early has innings. A, this has a little – I don't even know if it's a loserception for the tail end of this one. But when we say it, um, I am prepared and I'm very happy we're not in Eaton Town. So you're not near any windows. You can't possibly fall and die. You know, so Try me. There's a big plain glass right out behind you, man. We've got a pretty good one. You might yeah. walk out of the studio when we hit this final note. So – uh, but like I said, to tell the story, you got to tell a couple of stories. So Waddell will serve honorably for 20 years as a United States Naval officer. And he's well thought of enough that he actually returns as an instructor to Annapolis. Is also part of a major cruise down in the East Indies. So he's seeing the world. Right. All right. He's, uh, he's a pretty accomplished guy He's from more than here. Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. <laughs> uh, sometimes the old man gets the dunk on me and it's pretty good. <laughs> he's true. Take your basic training and uh... – Great Lakes, and then you get to see the world via Jacksonville, Jacksonville Florida. Florida. That's <laughs> uh, at the height of Tebow mania. But uh, this was a man, by the way, in Captain Waddell, or not Captain, but at the time, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Waddell. Uh, he's a man with knowledge, skills, and experience, and the U.S. Navy is lucky to have him. That is until he resigns from his commission as a lieutenant in 1861. Want to take a wild guess as to why he resigned from his commission, Kahuna? 
Um, this guy's got a, a bright future here. If you were paying attention to the timeline, it might be a hint there. There's a hint. It's He's from North Carolina. Uh, so he, he picks a particular side. You know it, buddy. Ah, okay. Yeah. He resigns. And it's a tough spot to be in. I always think, Dad, you and me have talked about this before. If New Jersey, if the country went to war with New Jersey or New Jersey tried to secede, uh, it's a hard spot to be in because you're like, well, you know what? I, I have a loyalty to this larger entity because we, we weren't exactly the the unified country that we sometimes are today. <laughs> but I always wonder what would happen. Would you sit there and say, well, you know what? I, everyone I know is from Jersey. My family's all in Jersey. Am I going to fight against New Jersey? Am I going to be part of the military occupation? Right. Of, that's a tough that's a tough sell, man. Especially <laughs> if your sister's fighting for the other side, too. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and uh, as Kerry has pointed out, Kerry fights for Kerry. So. <laughs> yeah. What I are mean, we, some form of Kerry squad? That's yeah. <laughs> and from the times, too, I mean, the, the, your allegiance to your home state was a lot stronger than I think it is today. I mean, everybody is, you know, how many people nowadays live and die in the same place where they where they grew up, you know, that they were born and raised and, and die probably in the same 20 mile radius. Um, back then, nowadays, people are so transient that uh, you don't really have those ties that we did uh, back in 1861. But so, yeah, South Carolina. Well, he's from North Carolina, but I know he's what you from mean. North Carolina. But and South Carolina is going to start the. Uh... South Carolina <laughs> starts this little fracas that we call the uh, U.S. Civil War. Or the war of northern aggression, or whatever side you want to, whatever side you want to pick. But yeah, and, and North Carolina um, secedes from the Union, and he has his allegiance to uh, to the home to the home folk, and decides that he's going to go by the way of his state. He's going to go with North Carolina. And you said he resigned. Actually, he uh, was discharged because. Uh, the United States Navy at the time realized that there's going to be a lot of Southern officers that are going to probably try to resign. So, but resign is like they're going out on their terms. Where if you're discharged, you're uh, it's like don't let the doorknob hit you on the way out. So, well, yeah, I think they dismissed him like maybe a couple of months, maybe even a year afterwards. Right. That uh, yeah, and you don't know what the timeline of events was. He could have resigned and never showed back up. And then they say, oh, and by the way, you're fired. Right. You know. <laughs> Kind of what happened to me in the Navy, but <laughs> that'll be another story for another time. I think I'm within the legal um, limits. I can tell that story, though. The statute of limitations is up. Uh, it's nothing too bad. But it's a wild thing here, and part of his dilemma has him leaving the United States Navy, and now he takes on a commission in the newly founded Confederate Navy as a lieutenant. Now, the question you got to ask yourself, Dad, is uh, how did the Confederacy create a Navy on the fly like that? Yeah, well, that was uh... – it kind of fades back to uh, the Revolutionary War times because you can declare yourself that, hey, we're the Confederate uh, Navy, but it really didn't exist yet. So it's either by captured vessels or re uh, reconstructed, uh, refitted vessels or uh, out and out. You, know, you got to come by it somehow or other because they didn't really have a Navy. And you're starting as a brand new country that uh, really doesn't have anything. Uh, so they got to pull it up from the from the bootstraps type of thing. It's pretty interesting how they wind up uh, putting this thing together. And a key central figure in this, because like I said, you got to tell a couple of stories to tell this one properly. Enter, this is a good name, by the way. Three names, so you know it's good. All right. <laughs> That's right. And uh, try to picture how he would talk. Think for your casting couch now, Cahoons. Okay. 
Is the name uh, Christian Atrell Cordes? <laughs> close. Very, oh. very close. Doesn't sound as elegant. <laughs> Got to put a Probably southern drawl on that, though. And the- James Dunwoody Bullock. That's his name. He needs a Beauregard in there somewhere <laughs> with a name like right. that. Beauregard is my favorite of the southern uh, uh, general names. I agree with that one. And not just because it was Shaggy's uncle. Um, <laughs> I'm so no, never mind. I did not think you were gonna get that reference, but perfect. Beauregard. <laughs> <laughs> so enter uh, James Dunwood of Bullock. He's born in Georgia, you see, to a slaveholding family. Yes, the family they own slaves, so they're definitely part of that one percent, the aristocracy of the South, if you will. That's why sometimes on the show we try to have some sympathy for the troops, the boots on the ground guys that are fighting in the Civil War, because. A, they're not getting – there's no – you can look back on the morality of the issue and it's clear as day. We say it, it's not hard to say maybe people shouldn't own people. It's not a hard thing to say, all right? But back see, in the, the guy day, may have believed that we – see, this guy may have believed that we should own people, but goddamn, his beard is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got a pretty good one over there. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, I took a while. For those who don't know and can't see this, it's um the, the beard is really it's a handlebar mustache with the mutton chops grown out, so his chin is exposed. Everything else is uh, is, is covered no, in hair. It yeah. is no longer a handlebar mustache; it is a bicycle mustache. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and just for clarity's sake, to those listening, uh, that was the, a photograph of Mr. Bullock, James Dunwoody Bullock. Yes, Dunwoody Bullock. He's a good boy from Georgia. You see. And uh, he will also actually join the Naval Service, the United States Naval Service. Um, he's going to serve there for 15 years in the United States Navy until he will resign. He's not going to resign uh, to join the Confederacy, though, because th- that hasn't happened yet. He resigns to go into the private industry. Private uh, sector. Yeah, private sector job where they expect results. Mm. And he uh, he joins up with a nice shipping company. And he's making a pretty penny over there. And he's making a lot of really great connections here. So at the outbreak of the Civil War, the Union or Federal Navy, depending on who you want to call them, um, they're going to begin a very smart tactic of blocking all Confederate ports. So, hey, Wilmington, North Carolina seems to be able to bring in some stuff. Boom, blockade. Hey, they seem to be bringing stuff in via New Orleans. Boom, blockade. Savannah, Georgia. Boom, blockade. Yeah. And when that was first announced by Lincoln that we were going to blockade all the southern ports, um, skeptics laughed at that because – Again, the the U.S. Navy, the Federal Navy, the Union Navy wasn't all that strong either, but at least they had some ships that slowly and clearly – and they also had facilities where they could build additional ships, which was – which was huge, but you know they they actually turned that uh, that tactic that they were able to blockade all the southern ports, so imports coming into the Confederacy was was choked off, and that's where the start of what they called blockade runners. That the Confederates then had these very fast ships that could slip past the Union blockade and bring in uh, well bring in whatever supplies were able to be smuggled in. So. It was. Uh, I think Kahuna's reading ahead a little bit. He's gonna. He's gonna ruin the reveal for Bullock. For what? No, no. Huh? I wasn't. I'm actually not. I was reading some of them. Oh, book. okay. I'll tell you what. You can go ahead and click off his Wikipedia because I, I. I want the genuine reaction. Yeah, of really. Quite the, badly the this honest, week. <laughs> reaction of what? There's it's a foreboding. Good. There's a foreboding there. Well, like you were saying though, that this blockade is getting laughed at first. The U.S. Navy is uh, much stronger than the Confederate Navy, but only because they exist, and you right. got to create one on the fly. And that's where our boy James Dunwoody Bullock's going to come into uh, effect here. It's uh, hard to fight a war and build an army without supplies and ammunition, which is why this blockade is so successful. 
Um, it's very interesting too, though, because the United States they're they're on pretty decent ground with uh, the, their former you know sovereignty of, of England at this point. But yeah. there's a lot of support for the Confederacy in England and in Germany and even in France. There's a lot of ideas going on over here. Oh, I mean, well, what if we support – and not even necessarily that they supported the idea of slavery or that they thought that the US government was uh, going overstepping its bounds. They were just sitting there and saying, hey, there could be some money in this for that's us. That's right. Absolutely. If we back this upstart young fighter that's coming out of the South right now. Right. The, they, the biggest, the biggest uh, crop or the biggest uh, – part of the economy uh, before the war was King Cotton. The cotton in the South was was huge. I mean, that was a major, major uh, export. And where did they export it to? Well, a lot of that went to some northern mills, certainly, but uh, a lot of it also went overseas to England and, and France, where that raw cotton was turned into, into textile. So, you know, were there Southern sympathies? Yeah. And a lot of that had to do with... Uh, with bucks, um, you know, where where are we uh, where are we getting the most money from? Well, from the Southerners, and there was some too about the uh, the rankings, if you will, that you had a, um, the aristocrats of of England were the really supporting the aristocrats of the South, with not so much that they were a lot of the really lot of similar last names, yeah, you know, over there and and heritage. Um, and not so much that they were supporting slavery, but they were certainly supporting the whole class idea about, um, you know, you have the upper echelon and they shouldn't be dealing with the riffraff of the, the lower classes. But then, You mean those damn blacks and the Irish? <laughs> and, and, yeah, and then in England too, the, the lower class, the, uh, the working stiffs, they kind of were uh, – Siding with the with the southern sympathies too, the, the the whole rebel cause kind of a thing. So it's a it's an us against them type of thing, rich against the poor. Um, but uh, early on with this whole blockade and everything else too, a, a very key point that that took place early early on in the war in 1861. Again, now remember that the war started with the the southerners firing on Fort Sumter in April of 1861. Uh, uh, things were going back and forth. Uh, things weren't going real well for the North beginning. Uh, all their land battles, the Bull Run um, or Manassas, <laughs> depending on which side you're from. But uh, <laughs> Manassas. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that didn't go well. Uh, early on, the, the South was kicking the, kicking the shit out of the North uh, on, on their land battles. And then in November, there was uh, a big incident, a big to-do took place where we had some Confederate diplomats. They were envoys, a guy by the name of Mason and Slidell, who um, aborted a British mailing uh, steamer. So you got this British ship. They jump on board as passengers and are going over to England and France to kind of negotiate and try to have uh, some sympathies to the Confederacy because no foreign nation really recognized the Confederacy. That never happened, and but these guys were going over there to see if they could get international uh, accreditation, if you will, and also to try to work some deals for finances, supplies, and that type of thing. Well, these two guys are on this British ship, and then um, it's intercepted by a federal uh, a federal ship by a Captain John, uh, Charles Wilkins. 
and these two guys are take and their secretaries, so so their their envoy, if you will, are are captured, taken off the ship, off the British ship, and then returned to a, a northern port. Well, the British went freaking nuts with that. That how dare you uh, take passengers off a British ship? And things got really heated very very quickly to the point where Britain starts to send over uh, troops into Canada. Because remember, Canada is still part of the British Empire at this point in time. True. All right. Would have so, been American if it wasn't for- <laughs> Yeah. So they start sending troops over to Canada and they start um, getting some of their warships uh, in in motion to, if uh, this really comes to push comes to shove, we're going to war with England. And then France jumps in and says, "Well, yeah, if England goes to war with you guys, we're going to back. We're going to side with with uh, Britain as well." So, like, holy shit! And Lincoln was quoted as saying, "Let's let's fight one war at a time here. Back off." These guys were released and allowed to go on their way over to England and to negotiate w- for the Confederacy or whatever. But um, a that, young Kaiser Wilhelm is saying, "I got an idea." Yeah, <laughs> that became a, a huge uh, a huge issue that. Uh, Lincoln didn't want to be, uh, you know, and, and Britain was afraid that they were going to send U.S. troops up into Canada. So, uh, you know, things got really testy. The political situation is uh, dire straits. Dire straits. And that became known as the Trent Affair. But that was that was always in the background throughout the entire war because we were always negotiating, always fighting to make sure that the Confederacy was not recognized by any foreign power. Um, Queen Victoria, who's the reigning monarch of, of England at the time, does not recognize them, but she has a later classification for these, uh, for these southern rebels, if you will. And we'll, I'll get into that in a little bit, a little uh-huh. bit later on in the story here. But Intrigue at yeah. all levels. Classic loser fodder here. Um, our boy James Dunwoody Bullock, though, fascinating guy here. He's got to figure out how to uh, get this these friendly allies that they have, uh, even though they're all maintaining neutrality. He has to figure a way to kind of capitalize off of that. So he's got to have this newfound rebellion um, and support it in these weird ways. However, England did have, uh, like we said, various citizens that were supporting the Confederacy. And after James Bullock accepts a position as a foreign agent with this newfound government known as the Confederacy – he would depart from the South, okay? Mind you, I have to turn the page today because I don't have my iPad with me. Oh, jeez. Right. So here I am. No silent clicking, but ruffling papers. page turnings. Oh, good God. But uh, no, he's going to actually arrive over in Liverpool, England, and that's where he will begin to accumulate the kind of resume that makes him, at the time, known as the most dangerous man in Europe. Pretty good title. A couple of guys have had that title as well, and Bullock's one of them. The most dangerous man in Europe would then uh, covertly begin the process of creating a Confederate navy by selling the Confederate cotton to England. Bullock will begin to raise funds for the war and make headway into shipbuilding and ship fitting. Just so you guys know, building is when you have to construct a ship from you know the ground up pretty much or the sea up, if you will. Um, Lay the keel and go from there. Indeed. So it takes a while to build a ship. What you can do is you can uh, call up Exhibit and he'll come in there and he'll pimp your ride. So that's what's going to happen. 
Kahuna already knows what we're talking about. That's <laughs> I don't know how you did it. <laughs> we, <laughs> hey, dude, we heard you love raging war on the United States. You've officially been so pissed. We, <laughs> so we set you up with it. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. That's even worse because I wrote to Pimp My Ride. Oh, my God. As a young lad, Kahuna wrote to Pimp My Ride hoping they would pimp out his go-kart. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm playing. No, I don't. <laughs> I know better than to think that, my friend. More than baseball cards in the spokes of your bicycle, huh? It's a- <laughs> More so. Well, you go ahead. You, when you fit a ship as now a warship, all you're doing is setting it up to be able to carry cannons and then be used as a combat vessel. So it's much easier and you can have a quicker turnaround time with that. So uh, like we said, building is going to take more time. Fitting is a process. You take the already working vessel and now it's a warship. And the most effective ship in the Confederate Navy was the CSS Alabama. The sloop of war, as it was known, uh, named the Alabama, was the most successful of the ships that were referred to as Confederate raiders. Okay. Commerce raiders. Commerce raiders. And the mission of these ships was to harass merchant ships, occasionally attack Union ships, and more often than not to board, take over, and absorb other ships to be recruited into the fledgling but growing Confederate Navy. Right. Cahuna, cap- is that- capture a ship, change the flag. There you go. We got one more in our yeah, Navy. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Kahuna, because my father just said it pretty perfectly here. Mm. If you – yeah, what, what do you think that should be called? If, does it sound similar to you, like some old profession from back in the day? Maybe guys out at sea that they take your boat and then they take it over and they take the people on the boat and make them work oh. for them. What's the word I'm thinking? It's a P word. It's uh, – <laughs> Oh, I know, I know. Pornography. It's a <laughs> dirtiest joke on the show this week, and it's been done by the Kahuna. <laughs> uh, pirates, there indeed, you go. my friend. Which is also a porn. Oddly, pirates, you know? <laughs> pirates of the of uh, the Carolinas. That's it's what we're a- dealing with here, man. Uh, so now you do have this Confederate Navy that's starting to grow here. Bullock is able to get many ships armed on the sly over in England. He's very creative with some of the back channels he goes through because the Union is watching him like crazy and they keep threatening England by saying, hey, if you're supporting a Confederate Navy and they're arming themselves on your side of the Atlantic and you're aiding and abetting them, if you will, then you're not neutral, motherfucker. Yeah, we see, that's, that's where I was alluding to before. Queen Victoria announced that England – after this whole Trent affair calmed down a little bit and people started to back away from going to war with England uh, by capturing their envoys, the Confederate envoys, uh, Queen Victoria announces that we're going to be neutral. France did the same thing. We're neutral. We're staying out of this. This is your civil war. We're not going to pick sides here. And she just labeled the Confederacy as belligerent states, belligerent states. And as a neutral you weren't allowed to supply military stores um, to any other nation or something or even these belligerent states. But she wasn't going to interfere or England wasn't going to interfere with free enterprise. So if somebody came over and had the money or the cotton to trade for other goods and supplies, they weren't going to interfere with free enterprise. So um, Bullock and other um, emissaries for the Confederacy came over and they worked private deals, private arms dealers. I mean, <laughs> that shit has been it's going business. on. Yeah, it's business. <laughs> it's business. Um, so they were buying out ships or paying for ships to be built or refitted to become um, warships, but it couldn't be a warship 
in the harbor. You'd have to sail out, and we'll get into that. Oh, it's pretty that good. A little bit too. He's pretty clever how he makes this thing all work, man. Uh, Bullock's a smart, smart guy. Um, he makes a couple of key moves here. So first of all, like we said, the Alabama very, very successful as a Confederate raider. Uh, Bullock's able to get many ships armed on the sly over in England. But like we said, the Union's becoming aware of this. They're making his efforts more and more difficult. Bullock continues to be quite creative, though. He manages to purchase a solid ship known as the Sea King, right? The Sea King. That's a pretty ambitious name. And as we've covered on the show before from other episodes, uh, when it comes to a ship, the name is everything. So what do they do? They have to change the name of this ship, which technically is a nautical bad luck omen, right? But you're also commissioning the ship now, so it has to change its name. You know, it's right. a new ship now at this point. Recommissioning. But, it was so, a merchant ship that had been very fast and very successful with uh, um, trade in the in the Far East. Um, Bullock is able to purchase this thing for the Confederacy, and what I found. Really interesting is it it sails out of the English harbor, flying the Union Jack, flying the uh, yes the British flag. <laughs> so that's it gets underway, if you will, sailing out of the British port, flying the British flag. But once it gets out to sea, what happens? The flags mysteriously got swapped. <laughs> it, it's almost like something out of a James Bond movie. You know what I mean? Where they're able to pull this thing off, and Bullock's kind of the uh, a little bit of a 007 type, where he's, you know, he's not British himself. But he's operating out of Britain, and he's pulling off all these things that no one's. The last thing you'd expect is that the Sea King is all of a sudden going to become uh, known as the CSS Shenandoah. So that's how you get the Shenandoah now, which uh, our boy Waddell's going to become the, uh, the the captain of. Was. That's so weird to me that they would even still do it in in an age where sea superstition, even like it's probably at its peak that they would even allow them to rename the ship. But I don't know. I just find that kind of odd. Well, they rename it. And then like my father was saying that they uh, they have the Union Jack flag. The British flag is flying as it leaves the ports. And the Americans like, oh, just a, it's a British merchant ship. But it's being captained by a crew of Confederates. Once it's out at sea. That's where it gets really interesting. You know, there were some there were some British sailors on board just to get it out, but it was completely undermanned too. I mean, it was a skeleton crew just to get it out of port and out to sea, you know, beyond the the seven mile limit or whatever, where things miraculously change. So you drop the Union, you, you know, strike the colors of of the of the British Navy, and then hoist the colors of the Confederate Navy and rechristen it the Shenandoah. And now you got a brand new ship. Which is pretty cool here. And uh, essentially, like we said, the Confederacy, uh, specifically the Confederate Navy, are using piracy as one of its main tacks. Like that's the kind of their go-to tactic. So this uh, Shenandoah is going to be able to do great damage to Union blockades and it, in theory should be able to take many merchant ships by force in order to plunder and also bolster the ranks. The Shenandoah is getting a little bit of a high profile though as its captain, our boy James Waddell, uh, he's trying to put together this crew, like you said, Dad, by recruiting English sailors to the cause. England was again technically breaking neutrality. The Shenandoah is not allowed to be armed while in port in England. So once the soon-to-be warship leaves England with an understaffed crew, some of them English, which I, I always get a kick out of that one too, where it's, um, you know, we're here to fight for the Confederacy. What time is tea? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're all here for the cause though, right? Oh, I mean – are we having crimpets at breakfast or not? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Crikey's, that's a big one. Oh, you got Australian, <laughs> which oddly enough is a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, okay. 
<laughs> so this ship, uh, like we said, once it, get, it gets out to sea over here, this is kind of hilarious. Uh, it's not allowed to be armed while in port. So uh, a British merchant ship will actually rendezvous with Captain Waddell out at sea, and they will unload cannons out in the middle of the ocean because there ain't no law out in the middle of the oceans, you see. So they're able to put on these cannons and stuff. A couple of weird things, though. They're missing a few things. This British secret agent <laughs> style thing is pretty great that you're able to hide and stow away weapons and now arm a ship out at sea and no one knows that they have these con- like all these crazy guns and cannons and stuff now. They're missing a couple of things though, LP. What are they missing? Uh, gun ports. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we need gun, no gun ports, ports to- cut into their ships. Now you got to cut your own. Gu- it's like building your own glory hole, you know? It's bad. You, wait, they. Oh my God. Yeah. So, that so has, it's that jerry rigged to this ship? Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. Uh, refitted to be a, a man of war, a warship out at sea. So you actually have to cut, you know, holes in the side of your ship so I, you can run the cannons out. That's got to be hilarious too, because they're out at sea. So all these holes don't—they aren't even aligned. Yeah. They're not. Some aren't even fully square. Did some are want, triangles. Did you want this below deck, or did you did you cut a hole below deck? Are you <laughs> <telling> <laughs> that? Where did you not, cut that? Yeah, not below the waterline, Captain. <laughs> we're taking on water. Where were you cutting holes? Uh. Well, the other thing they're missing is uh, these very, very important things known as gun tackles. What is a gun tackle, Lawrence Patrick? Well, you're going to have to um, pull the gun out through the gun port in order to fire the things. Um, So you're not blowing up your own ship. But uh, yeah, they're missing a lot of stuff. And just to be clear here, this ship wasn't really designed to fight other Union um, warships. The whole idea of this, these are commerce raiders. What that means is whatever we can find that might be a Union merchant ship, um, we're going to try to capture that, capture it or sink it or burn it um, just so whatever its cargo um, might be of value to the Union side, we're going to destroy that. And that was that was their orders to plunder and pillage whatever you could find out there that might be flying a, a Union flag. We're not pirates, guys, <laughs> yeah. but you're going to destroy those ships and take all their shit. That's right. But aren't we? Pi- no. And that's uh, that's exactly how they refitted themselves, that they could remain out to sea because whatever merchant ship they came upon, they would, you know, plunder. Uh, their supplies and everything else, take them on board and then burn their ship. That's you a guys, bit of an you insult. Hungry? You guys hungry? We could raid the ship if you're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah. That's a bit of an insult to pirates. I, I, I've, pirate ships were way better looking. From what I, from what I've gathered, they made this bullshit out of. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a merchant ship that was just you know turned about into. Uh, it's now a know, sloop a, of war. A sloop point. of war, exactly. Now the only question I have for for the panel is is in general. <laughs> <Panel>. <laughs> Were these well ships back in the day? They were primarily made of wood and stuff like that. Some were later converted to have like steam engines and stuff. So by converting this ship into a battleship, is that okay? Or because like I would assume that these older ships were built to spec so that they could actually survive being a warship. Yeah. Well, does that come into so, play with this? Yeah, you said battleship. It's really a warship. So whatever, if if it's got arms and armament on it, it's a it's a warship, and it started out in life um, as the Sea King, which was a merchant ship. So it was really built for speed and for carrying cargo. Um, so it's a UPS truck. It's a UPS then truck cut that a we're, can now, we're now into. putting gun ports in. <laughs> and one of the one of the major prizes to uh, capture are whaling ships. 
And these guys are out for months, if not years on end, um, hunting the whales. So the whaling industry is a huge, huge at this point in time as well. So for the whale oil, for the whale bone, there's all parts of the whale were being used for economics. And who is that hurting primarily is the New England states. Mm -hmm. all, all the whalers out of New Bedford and lose reception there too. With uh, it's their way of pushing back. Uh, but go ahead. No, reception. no. It was we had we had other topics w within uh, American loser. Some good about, old folks that made some money doing the old whaling business. The as whaling it were. business, absolutely. So, I mean, if you're hurting New England merchants, then you're hurting New England economy, which is hurting the Union. So, And this um, is all a pushback move against these blockades that the uh, Union Navy is inflicting upon the, the Southern populace, really. Right. And these, these uh, um, whaling ships, they weren't built for uh, fighting, fighting off uh, pirates or, or other warships. They were built for capturing hunting whales and capturing the blubber and the whale oil and all that other good stuff that's uh, within the whale that uh, was financially lucrative for them to be out there in the first place. So, yeah, so you fire a couple of shots across their bow and uh, they're probably going to give it up. So, Which is funny because the CSS Shenandoah, it only has, uh, of the multiple guns on board, only two of them are actually fully equipped to be used. But other people don't know that. So you right. can still look intimidating. You can rob somebody with a fake gun kind of a thing. Right. Um, but they have two working cannons. So if you fire a shot across the bow with a functioning cannon, then, yeah, you're going to be able to – no one's going to sit there and say, hey, aren't you guys missing uh, cannon tackles? So the recoil would actually tear the ship apart and you'd lose the cannon? No, they don't have time to make a decision like that. They just have to sit there and say, boom, boom, stick, bad. <laughs> right, right, right. You take ship, good. Right. <laughs> so it's working out pretty well for them here. Shenandoah, like I said, uh, a very successful ship. They are, unfortunately, because uh, they're doing a great job of attacking those merchant ships, Dad. Uh, Shenandoah is now being – there's a ship on the hunt for it, the USS Iroquois. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're sinking – if you're sinking uh, New England whalers, you're, you're hurting our economy, and uh, we're coming after you. I mean, you're you're going against us. We're coming after you. So and they're you were, on. The, they're being hunted right now. The hunter is being hunted. And you were mentioning earlier too that uh, talking about being able to stay out at sea for long periods of time. Well, they're going to have to because when you're a Confederate ship, and all of your home ports are being blockaded by the enemy so effectively that your home port of the Confederacy came out of Liverpool, England. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's not really a great – who says you can't go home? Where you're you calling know? home. And, and if, now that you are a warship, you're not going to be even allowed back into uh, Liverpool, England because you're a warship and England has already declared neutrality. Oh, so yeah. Once you declare right. that, hey, now it's a thing. Okay. You, you pulled off that little funky move of, all right, you caught us sleeping. All right. You are able. Right. You became a warship. Uh, <laughs> yeah. On say, the sly. Yeah. I don't want to say you uh, – the big reveal, you know? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but – now, uh, like we said, armed here, the ship's very, very successful, and uh, they're not able to get back into a home port here. This leads to Captain Waddell having to make a daring move with his ship's propeller having issues. So it is a uh, a sail ship, if you will, with sails, but it also does have a, a steam propeller. Um, this propeller is going to have some issues. They need to get into port ASAP. He set sail for Cape Town, South Africa, figuring that that's going to be a, a home port that's going to be at least friendly enough to him to let him make some repairs. Uh, unfortunately, the captain of the USS Iroquois also figures, he goes, you know what? This son of a bitch probably going to South Africa. 
Yeah, that's the ship that's hunting. The Iroquois mm-hmm. is the one that's hunting it. So, so now upon arrival, when Waddell brings the boys into port, they actually can see that the Iroquois is sitting there waiting for them. So the boys of the CSS Shenandoah say, oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, not a good time to pay a visit to uh, South Africa. You Africa. know, we were just leaving. <laughs> um, so they go ahead. They actually make a move over to uh, – they're able to lose him uh, because they figured that the next port I think would have been Mali. That they M A L I that they thought that would have been the next location where uh, the Confederate ship would try to go to uh, you know, refit the ship and make the repairs, and Waddell's actually able to outsmart them and makes a move. Uh, hey guys, Dan Ende. Yeah, and Waddell's got to be a hell of a captain way. because uh, you know he's he's sailing this thing undermanned too. He still doesn't have a full crew. Undermanned with no propeller working, no steam right. propeller, so it's still an, it's an old school shipper. He really is a hell of a captain. So he, he, yeah, he's he's got sail, but he's also got this um, propeller driven thing that he's having problem with the propeller. So he's you know dual fuel. <laughs> he got the wind <laughs> and the and the uh, the steam, but uh, you know steam isn't working so well for him right now. And he was going to try to get repaired um, in South Africa, but that's not working because. The bad guy, you know, to him, the bad guys, the Union uh, ship that's yeah, the looking the enemy for knew him. you were coming. Right. That was the thing. So now Australia is weird because Australia is technically part of the British uh, government at this time as well. Okay. Um, and Australia will allow the ship to dock and repair the propeller in Melbourne, but there are severe political complications uh, of the situation. It gets pretty sticky pretty quick. Yeah, but Australia, Australia is a little different than England. Um because Australia really started out as a prison island, as a prison island, as a penal colony. So, the uh, the early pioneers to Australia were pretty much convicts, and there's a huge Irish population that really doesn't give a flying fig what Queen Victoria might have to say about this whole Was situation. There perhaps, <laughs> and, and, and our good boy uh, Murphy's Wake, also known as uh, Tyler Prysock, he's all over this one. Perhaps there was a guy. That was going to wind up coming to America and leading the Irish Brigade. It <laughs> yeah. was maybe over in Australia a couple of years earlier. Spent some time as a prisoner in the in uh, Devil's Land. It's uh, uh, Thomas Francis Maher. Maher, there you go, <laughs> Maher. Well, like we said, he's able to make it over to Australia here. Now, Australia is not supposed to aid either side of the conflict, um, and now not only is Waddell repairing his technically pirate ship in Melbourne. He's also recruiting from the largely sympathetic to the Confederate cause Australian population. This U.S. consul that's over there starts raising all sorts of hell, and the Shenandoah is barely able to slip away. Again, almost like a James Bond type thing, where just when the, the hammer's about to come down, hey, in the morning we're going down and we're shutting them down. Yeah, we're going to get rid of – we're not going to allow them to take any Australians with them as part of the crew. We're going to tell them to get on their way. We might even disarm them. Uh, yeah. And boom, the Shenandoah slips away. In the dark of the night. Yeah, but while they were there, Kev, because they were there for about a month before they Oh, these are not easy repairs. Yeah, yeah. These were not easy repairs. But when when the Shenandoah uh, comes into Melbourne, um, this ship and the crew were like rock stars. They were absolute celebrities that the whole town came out. They were providing special trains to get up to Melbourne to to see these uh, gray uniformed uh, rebels on their on their teak standing on their teak deck uh they nobody's ever seen anything like that and 
there's a kind of a rebel <laughs> rebel attitude about the the Aussies to begin with and again uh, current uh, events dictate that attitude is still there yeah, right <laughs> and rooting for the rooting for the underdog is uh is something that's you know in the blood if you will of, of the Australians but for two days um the first two days that they were there um they were sightseers aboard the ship and the decks were filled to capacity they were say with thousands of people are now on, on the second day. It was estimated there was seven thousand people were jamming onto this ship to just to see these rebels uh, who were fighting, uh, you know, their glorious well, cause. Any American will. sailor will tell you uh, Australia is the best port you can ever go to. For several, <laughs> actually, we have a listener. We have a couple of listeners. We have a new one. Um, I, I'm forgetting her name right now, but she's been talking to me on uh, Instagram that she. She dreams of meeting the Kahuna one day. Oh, there you go. That's right. So, that's a, that's a dream of many, though. It's a, yeah. He's making appearances via Skype right now. One. Yeah, Kahuna has an OnlyFans. That's <laughs> a- <laughs> yeah, it's me telling stories of losers from American history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, there was all kinds of celebrations when these guys pulled into port. It was at least five different celebrations: a Confederate ball, um, you know, and, and then. The the locals, for the most part, were uh, accepting these guys with uh, welcome, open arms kind of a thing, whatever they could do for them. But again, some of the the haves, those with a little more coin, um, were um, really upset about we're, we're accepting these these rebels into our port. There's a man of war. We're going against our whole neutrality thing. The queen dictated that we shouldn't be doing this and all this kind of stuff. And the U.S. emissary, uh, the U.S. consul in, in Melbourne, he's just going apeshit that, uh, you know, he's demanding that uh, we do something, that, that the Aussies do something with these rebels in the, in the Melbourne port. Um, Initially, the Melbourne officials allowed them to make their repairs. I mean, and, you know, back and forth, back and forth with all the politicos. Finally, they said that, you know, you got to get them out of here. So um, they they came to the ship. They came to um, the Shenandoah and were looking to arrest any Australian subjects that might be aboard the ship. Um and Captain Waddle would not allow them even on board, um, flat out refused. But then it was like, all right, it's time to get the hell out of here because uh, we have overstayed our welcome type of thing. So now, keep in mind, it's a Confederate Navy ship that has some British sailors involved with it. So it's, uh, you know, you got uh, good old Waddell up there with his North Carolina accent. He's probably just letting everybody know, hey, guys, we're just trying to get through this. You know, Matthew <laughs> McConaughey, I got to get out there. Yeah, it's the Confederacy. It is what it is, you know. And then he's got a couple of British guys on there that are like, oh, I thought you said we was going to be getting some limes. <laughs> I got me a bit of scurvy here. And now you got Australians on board that are sitting there and doing uh, all sorts of crazy Australian things, you know? And by the way, uh, I mean, it just it, it's almost ironic that a group um, of literally the Confederacy is actually a, a uniquely diverse group, the same way that it's unique that uh, the Union Army has an immigrant population coming in and fighting for them and it's it, it's very the civil war is a goofy ass thing man so oh and then also that the fact that you wouldn't let um uh you know african americans who a large uh, probably i would say the absolute most important reason for the war in the first place uh neither side was really keen to have them fighting at first mm. so the civil war just gets weirder and weirder as it goes but this is that weird um uh uh 
just a strange, strange tale that's about to get a little bit stranger here too. So now that he's able to escape from uh, uh, Melbourne, um, albeit uh, you know barely by the skin of his teeth. Yeah, and again to put a timestamp on this, this is 1865. This is February of 1865. Correct. He's already been successful getting from Liverpool to Australia by caption. I think he had nine different ships that uh, he captured or destroyed on his way to Australia, where he's now refitted and resupplied and repaired. Well, now we can unleash some hurt bombs. So now he's going to go after some some much, uh, some much bigger hurt bombs. Do you have a sure. number on how many ships? Because uh, it was mostly whaling ships that they targeted and they were brutally successful. Right. And it, now that you're in Australia, now you're in the, in the Pacific and – Although you're still going after those New England whalers, the New England whalers are up in the North Pacific, the, nor- the northern end. So this guy, is, he's doing some sailing, dude. I mean, he's 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 logging some miles. Isn't it? It's weird because Cahoon's, just as the audience for the show, mm-hmm. you hear Civil War, you assume it was all fought mostly in Virginia, maybe a little bit in the South, and then that one time at Gettysburg. Pretty much. Yeah. These guys are fighting the Civil War all over the, the – the nautical the, world. The world. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. wild to me. Well, it only gets stranger here too. What was the number? Did you have the number, LP? Because we got to start to land this plane. Yeah, well, he uh, – the, the Shenandoah um, in the 13 – in 13 months navigated the globe. So he was the only uh, Confederate ship to circumnavigate the globe. So he went around the world <laughs> oh, so wild. in 13 months, 58,000 miles captured 1053 prisoners and the prisoners were probably just merchantmen or whalers that what did they do what do you do with the prisoners well you put them in a smaller boat and you tow them behind your ship so i mean it, it slowed you down a little mm-hmm. bit but so <laughs> until you could for this for this entire span of a year they just carry around a little dinghy with just prisoners on well, it. Well, yeah, they would One, drop two, them. Wa- probably wouldn't be cooperative to maybe becoming part of his crew or part of uh, another crew or have another sleeping ship with the in. fishes. That's <laughs> I'm sure there was some of that too. Yeah. Does it ever tell you how many people died from all this stuff? Because they would sink pop, like pretty populated ships. Uh, the, the name of it really came to a shooting war. That's where you know we don't we don't have any major naval battles. Um, with these commerce raiders, basically they would come upon a whaling ship, fire a warning shot over the bow. Those guys would raise the white flag and that, that'd that be that. And then take whatever supplies you might need off the whaling ship and then burn it. Um, they captured 38 vessels, 24 of which were Union whalers. Oh, actually, they took 24 Union whalers in seven days time. In June of 1865, they're making a difference. <laughs> That's right. They're making they're making some noise. So your timeline's important here, LP. And if you have any other points, because you know where you know exactly what I'm about to go to. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're leaving Melbourne, Australia, in February of 1865, and Lee surrenders to Grant in April of 1865. Oh, you bastard! You ruined it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all about dates. June 27th, 1865, Waddell's going to capture a ship and the ship's going to give him some wild news. He goes, I have claimed this ship in the name of the Confederacy and the whalers on board are like, dude, uh-huh. dude Robert E. Lee already surrendered. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. this, this is over. What are, you, what are you doing, dude? And he goes, no, 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 no. What are you talking about? That's bullshit. You're full of it, man. Anyway, you're, all, you're, you're in the Confederate Navy now. 
Waddell had no clue until finally another ship wound up giving him an article that was in the newspaper that uh, proved that Lee had indeed surrendered. <laughs> However, in the same article, it stated, and this was Waddell's thing, he goes, oh, shit. Um, so Lee, sur- uh, hey, hey, it says Jefferson Davis, our president, our president of the Confederacy, lose reception. Uh, he's actually, he, he's going to continue to fight on. So this is really bad. Like we lost, right. we lost our big starting quarterback, but we have a, a backup and we believe in our defense. We're going to get out there and try to stay competitive, right? Yeah. And what happens next? This is in uh, June of 20, June 27, like I said here. Uh, Waddell had noted that the article does say this about Jefferson Davis saying he's going to fight on. And he goes, well, if Jefferson Davis is still going to fight on, then we're going to still fight on, right, boys? And they say, yeah. Uh, only problem is, like I said, it's June 27th, and Jefferson Davis was captured by the Union in May. So his president is under arrest by the United States yeah, at this point. Yeah, the news point. wasn't exactly instantaneous. <laughs> he didn't get the text message. Um, we still support our president. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, uh, yeah. You just claimed this ship in the name of a country that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. He first gets the inkling, Waddell first gets the inkling that, uh, you know, that the, the South is done. It's over. Um, and things were not going real well for them late in the war, 18, the end of uh, 1864, early 1865. But they first gets that news from Yankee whaling ships. So are you going to believe those guys? It wasn't until he's reading in the newspapers that were supplied from a British um, a British ship that he says, uh, you know what, guys? Uh, the past two months, we've been burning all these things, all these ships and shit. Uh, they'd already given up. The, <laughs> the, the war was over. So technically, that made them out-and-out pirates, not just a, a foreign uh, confederacy, a foreign nation, that they were now out-and-out by the law of the land, if you will, or the law of the sea. Well, because now they're nervous, because if there are – now, it's a, it's a crazy thing. Um, we've talked about it too. You want to learn more about this, the Andrew Johnson episode that we did uh, about the whole confederacy and the end of the war. That was a two-parter that we did. That's a really good one to look back on if you want to know what's going on politically at the time here. But – there is kind of this soft hand from Johnson in terms of how they're going to deal with the surrendering Confederates. Okay, so you would be. There's a lot of amnesty being given out here. You're going to treat them like fellow combatants. We have to heal the nation. We have to bring everybody together again. Uh, how are you going to do that? Only problem is that Waddell and the boys of the Shenandoah have been literally been pirates out at sea for so long after the war that they're afraid if they turn themselves in, well, you're war criminals now. Hell, you're just pirates. Right. <laughs> and what do you right. do to pirates when they, you capture them? Uh, they head down to Davy Jones's locker with a nice noose hanging around their neck. Uh, Kahuna's right. <laughs> so they're a little bit nervous about this whole thing. Hang them or sink them, one of the two. Well, that's or both the, at the same yeah. time. Yeah. They're not going to get uh, the benefit of the doubt. So what do you do in that case? Um, who says you can't go home? Well, you can't go home. <laughs> so they decide instead, where are they going to return to? Let's return to the ship's home. So they're going to wind up going back to Liverpool and they will surrender. This is worth knowing. Go ahead, LP. You no, know, I was initially, um, the captain wanted to take them back to Australia. He said, hey, remember those good times we had in Australia? Let's yeah. go back to Australia. We were received like rock stars there. But then uh, the rest of his uh, uh, um, officers on on the ship say, you know what? Uh, we're probably better off going back to England and, and getting a fair shake there. So again, one more time, they're, they're going back around the horn and up to uh, – Back up to good old Liverpool to uh, to um, bring the ship back to its uh, 
original start point. So you're going back to go, but you're not going to collect $200. But uh, <laughs> As KP said, you can't go home again. Yeah. Well, they get back to uh, Liverpool and they will surrender by lowering the Confederate flag. This is important in history for the final time. That's the final time the Confederate flag is ever lowered from a Confederate military unit. Uh, in That's November 6th, 1865. So here we are. It's November 1st right now, November 6, 1865. That's technically the final surrender of the Civil War. The final surrender of the American Civil War takes place in Liverpool, England. <laughs> right. By a pirate ship that had been conducting the war on its own for months after the surrender and capture of uh, you know the, the Army of Northern Virginia and the president of the Confederacy. And, it got, it got and by with a little help from its crew. <laughs> surrendered to British authorities who were neutrals during the Civil War. That's right. I, I would love to be that one. Oh, uh, yeah, we're neutral, but uh, you know, you guys ever hear the story about how I uh, I won the Civil War in America? Yeah, I'm the mayor of Liverpool. I'm the guy that they surrender to. That's a true story. They now it's still to it's still a very touchy situation too, because these guys were out at sea and plundering ships and burning whaling ships and everything else after the war was over. So how are they going to be treated? All right, you just surrendered to a British uh, a British ship. Um, but uh, when asked if any of his crew were British subjects, because that was outlawed by the British, a Brit, a Brit could not serve on that American Confederate warship. That would be against their laws. So uh, when Captain Waddell was uh, asked if there was any British subjects on board, he said, well, you know what? I didn't really pay much attention to nationalities when he enlisted the crew. But suppose most were American, since no sailor admitted to the British or Australian nationality, they were all released. So, hey, I'm not, I'm not a Brit. I'm a good old Southern boy. <laughs> I'm a good old so, Liverpoolian. Yeah, oh, I'm from yeah. Boston. I don't know if you heard. I'm, <laughs> Boston, I think that's a place, right? Where are you from? That's right. New uh, Orleans. It's like <laughs> my friend, uh, yeah, Jack Steiger sitting here. I'm from New Orleans. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they're they're able to pull this thing off here now. Waddell is actually going to stay in England for five years. This is the guy who fired the last shots of the Confederacy. Well, at least the official last shots. Again, <laughs> yeah, depend, last depending shot, on what parts of the country you go to, they still think it's going on. The last shot was fired uh, over the bow of a whaling ship. Mm -hmm. So a non-combatant had to receive that. And then uh, also it's hilarious too because it's all New England people on there. So just picture Bill Burr on a boat like, dude, what the fuck? This war's over. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, get out. Are you, are you serious? <laughs> but – uh, he's going to stay in England for five years in fear of retribution for his acts of piracy. He will eventually come back to the United States and work as a ship captain. And I believe he winds up being the head of like the Oyster Regulation Company or something. He has a government position that he winds up holding. Yep. This guy who was fought against the nation and then also uh, you know, literally was a pirate for a little bit of time. But now just, you're in charge of making sure the oysters are in good standing order, okay? Upon his death in 1886 – he was buried in Annapolis, Maryland, near where he had attended the United States Naval Academy, uh, becoming a, a he, literally serving an officer in the military that he both fought for and later against. So, what about our boy, Mister Dunwoody Bullock? Though, well, he's going to stay over in England as a Mister Secret Agent Man because the United States is not keen to have this guy back. They know that he's pulling some stuff behind the scenes here. He's given an order, by the way, Kahuna. You want to talk about loser receptions? Let's hear it. Oh, this is great. He is given an order to write a check that's going to cover some expenses. So remember, he's selling Confederate cotton in England 
to use for the Confederacy. He's literally the bankroll for the Confederacy. That's how they're able to make some money overseas here. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's got – write this check out to this guy by the name of Captain Patrick Martin. And uh, the mission, as it was planned, was for Captain Patrick Martin to get uh, supplies to some people who had an idea, a plot that they were going to kidnap President Abraham Lincoln. Captain Martin and his ship are unfortunately lost at sea in a storm, although they were heading to provide supplies to an actor named John Wilkes Booth. He would have been a part of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln had that ship not been lost at sea. You're Be shitting me. Because nope. he was lost at sea, um, Bullock uh, – because the, the ship with Captain Martin was lost at sea, Bullock is not considered part of the conspiracy that killed Lincoln. Although he tried to bankroll it. <laughs> he did try to pay for it. And then the craziest part is, remember Mary Surratt we talked about, who was hung for her part in the, uh, it was the Surratt house yeah. that uh, the, the whole conspiracy was launched from? I believe it's her husband, the only survivor of the conspiracy. Um, he winds up going over to England and he never meets up with Bullock over there. So that's why they said, oh, Bullock didn't really know everything. Because if the two of them were actually in cahoots to kill Lincoln... They probably would have at least met up once. Now you don't know. Wow, if there was can some you weird... imagine if this had played out? They like Lincoln would have been killed. Oh wait, yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, um, in fact, Bullock's actually uh, he's going to wind up playing a very large role though in the life of another president. Um, it's crazy, man. He he's got this uh, <laughs> he's got this nephew that is the nephew's like infectious with wanting to learn how stuff works and everything, and he goes. You know, uh, Uncle Jimmy, you you know, you took part in naval combat. What was it all about? You served in the United States military. Hell, you served in the Confederate military. What was it like back then? And he's giving them all this information. How does ship-to-ship combat work? What's how, Teach me the seagoing trades. His nephew was this profound reader and student and a big writer. The guy was always putting out like works of uh, history and stuff like that. And he actually convinced his uncle, who he was calling Uncle Jimmy, to write a history of the Confederate Navy based off of his personal experiences. This is our boy, Mr. Dunwoody uh, Bullock. His experiences now in the Confederate Navy are entered into the American lexicon by him saying, here's what we did. Here's how we did it. Mm -hmm. So literally a historical um, documents. Firsthand. Uh, yeah. Firsthand are being the, the best. That's the best way to get your history is firsthand um, are being provided by uh, this guy who's considered the most, the foreign agent of the Confederacy is now writing the American history books. That's a little bit of a weird concept. Even stranger, though, is that his nephew would use the knowledge from his uncle as well as his writings to start putting out his own works. This nephew would eventually become the Secretary of the United States Navy. Okay? So this is a guy whose uncle was literally a traitor to the cause, if you will, depending okay. on who you want to talk to. The most dangerous man in Europe, the Confederate agent. Now, after while he's the Secretary of the Navy, he actually winds up resigning that position because uh, he wants to go off and you know, lead a, a group of men over to a splendid little war in Cuba. And then he gets so popular, he winds up becoming the vice president of the United States until William McKinley. No, <laughs> wait a minute, you're making this up. Are you serious? <laughs> William McKinley will catch a bullet from Leon Shalgosh, another loserception here. And all of a sudden, the former governor of New York, Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man, nah, is that, are you fucking serious? It's literally his uncle. Bullock is is his uncle his, on his mother's side. I'm actually like crying. <laughs> <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt's <laughs> uncle was uh, 
Mr. Spy for the Confederacy. So now TR becomes the 26th president of the United States. And around this time frame, 1905, this is the great time of healing in that Reconstruction era because Reconstruction was bad. Reconstruct. That's where the worst shit possible in terms of race relations was going on. You had massacres. You had and TR sitting there trying to say, "Well, let's create. We got. We're all Americans now. That's that whole be American, act American kind of a thing." Uh, he's trying to get you to to drop the hyphen beforehand. Uh, TR's trying to just give you like, "Hey guys, th this is our country. Let's make something." He's trying to get a pan American idea going on here, and he actually makes a couple of speeches in which he uses the fact that he goes. Now I have in my my DNA I have both southern and northern blood. You know he's a Roosevelt. These are the uh, the up north aristocrats here. These are the uh, the well-to-do right. dandies. But he's also got uh, on the southern side here. You know he's got on his mom's side the, this you know Confederate uh, uh, DNA running around his blood too. And he's able to sit there and say I'm part of both of this. And you know what we're all part of both of this. So TR actually uses the idea that he had some Confederate family members, uh, one of them, again, being the most dangerous man in Europe, a Confederate foreign agent, uh, as an uncle that he was close with. And he actually uses the information learned from him to try to become a better leader and then uses the, you know, the idea that he was both a man of the North and the South to try to sit there and say, I'm for everyone now and we all should be for everybody. So a little forward thinking. But once again, I think we've said it a few times on this show, Dad. What don't you do? You don't fuck with Teddy Roosevelt. You just don't do it. There's not one <laughs> don't time. Don't do it. I think there's a bear that tried once, and I think <laughs> that's where we got Teddy from. Oh my God! Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty oh, wild listen, here, man. There have been many a times where you've brought this dude's name up, <laughs> and just it has shook me, but not like this. <laughs> he is. Uh, I wow. That Teddy Roosevelt is about the the great definition of an American original. So the idea that he's is still, he our Iron Man? I think he is. Dude, we, here's the funny part: we have never done an episode on him because we will never do an episode on loser. him because he just appears. We would have to everything. Then, <laughs> we would then have to change our name for one episode. Yeah, just for <laughs> just that's how we were, that's how it would have to be. I think some of it is we don't want to for fear of reprisal from him. Where if we call him an American loser, yeah, you're I, just going to see like a Kool Aid Man of Tr come through the I wall. Oh hell no! Choke me. That's a <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt, American winner. That's oh my new, god, that's the new podcast. You know, not for nothing. I will make a new theme song just for that episode, <laughs> and it'll be it'll be hair metal. <laughs> it don't matter what I try. <laughs> he rode in here on a bull moose. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's just a crazy footnote to end the story on. But I think it's nuts that the final shots of the Confederacy um, are fired at a uh, a non-combatant ship. Okay. And they're being shot well after the war is over. Two months after the war ended. And this, you know, again, the final surrender of the Confederate flag, a very uh, um, controversial flag, is actually lowered officially for the final time as part of the Confederacy in Liverpool, England. And then a Confederate officer surrenders to the mayor of Liverpool, England, a country that's not actually, uh, you know, it technically is neutral here. This is the craziest thing. So I, I, I want to say that last part, Dad. Are you cool with it? Oh yeah, go you, ahead. you know where I'm going, right? You have yeah. any other notes on the way out, by no, the way? Well, that's uh, we. I think we got it covered. Well, I wanted to go out on the the high note of the TR thing, which is great, but this is the craziest part. So, Australia gets in trouble for allowing the Confederate Navy to recruit people and then make the repairs to their ship. Uh, that leads to a lawsuit from the United States in an international court. I think, believe they go to arbitration or something like that. I don't know these goddamn legal terms. I'm not good like that. I'm a decent human being. So <laughs> I don't know what that means. But um, 
because they're able to hold this kind of a world court thing where the world decides that England owes the United States this much money for violating neutrality and because they didn't want to ruin this prosperous new relationship because this is the time frame when that special relationship is really coming into fold here. We haven't gotten to war with England in like 30 years, man. We're like getting along great now, you know? Yeah, we had a rough couple of years, but – yeah, um, 1812 wasn't so good, but wait, come on. <laughs> well, if you want to know more about that, there's a two-parter on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. <laughs> but uh, because of this weird world court thing that they get involved with, that actually lays the groundwork for stuff that's eventually going to become the League of Nations, okay, which eventually becomes the United Nations. You know, Again, failed efforts at first, but it sets a precedent for these ex- you know, organizations to exist. For a world court. Correct. Right. So this is your world. So that's really one of the major things there. And uh, England winds up paying, I think, to the tune of like $15 million to the United States as a, hey, sorry, we kind of, I mean, we were just feeling everything out, you know? I was just talking to him, okay? We didn't do anything. <laughs> we just had a big ball and a big celebration and it became a tourist attraction. And actually, that section of Melbourne, Australia is now a big time tourist attraction for the uh, for the Shenandoah that uh, – Next time you're in, in Australia, you can go visit that that historic site. Well, judging by the news, I don't think we're going to make it over there anytime soon. <laughs> but, uh, uh, by the way, honest to God, shout out to the listeners we do have over in Australia. It means a lot to us. One of my favorite things is going on to SoundCloud and seeing where people are listening from. Uh, you know, Obviously, we have a lot of uh, pride in, in uh, the, the shared Irish heritage that I have with my father. The Kahuna's part Irish as well. Um, very cool to have listeners over in Australia. Very cool to have listeners over in England. Um, very concerning how many listeners we have in Russia. All right. I think they're listening to us looking for information. And uh, I want you guys to know um, we're patriots on this show. We ain't giving you shit. <laughs> but now that being said, Cahoons, anything on the way out, buddy? Uh, no, nah, man. This is damn. Yeah. That, that <laughs> last one at the end, I was pretty excited to tell you about. That was weird. This whole story is weird because I actually did not. This is one of again. I love it when this happens. It's just stories I just didn't know. And for all I knew, just it ended when Lee surrendered, and that was it. I had really. When I went to Appomattox, I remember thinking that was the end of the war as well. Visiting them, and I said, "Oh, now," and they were like, "Oh, this was just the surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia." And I said to, to the tour guide there, "I said, oh, well, when did the actual war end?" And that's when the guy just took a breath and he goes, because he could tell I was from Jersey, mm-hmm. he, you know, and he was obviously he was from Virginia or whatever. And he just goes. Well, son, that depends on who you talk to, and which led me to say like, oh, well, was it this time? Was it here? Was it that? And, I'm thinking, and then in the, in the back of my mind, I was like, he goes, there's some people out there that still think this is going on. So, uh. <laughs> Yeah, and that final shot, I thought this was pretty terrific too. I, I, probably win, a, win yourself a drink at the, at the bar some night that, uh, you know, where did the war start? Well, that was Fort Sumter, but where was the final shot fired? It was off the coastal, the coastal waters of Alaska. So, uh, you know, we're on the opposite side of the world type of a thing. And, uh, um, yeah, it was just uh, just interesting, interesting stuff with this because, again, you never get any of this uh, naval stuff. Very few, um, very few naval battles are actually uh, told in U.S. history books um, from the Civil War. Uh, Mobile Bay, you know, damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead, and all that stuff. But that—that's about it. But uh, we got a couple other good ones. We're going to be doing some yeah, episodes on down right. the road here. I got to plug some dates real quickly. If you guys want to follow me, it's at uh, KP Burke sucks over on Instagram. KP Burke on Facebook. The album is moving forward. Uh, we're, we're dealing with a record company. It's on their schedule right now for the release. That is going to be happening soon, though. The Kahuna did an amazing job filming that. I cannot wait to share that with you guys. 
Uh, that being said, you want to come see me do some stand-up. Uh, the 12th and the 13th, I will be at Governor's in Long Island, uh, performing with my uh, friend, uh, the great Lynn Coplets. She was just in uh, the, the King of Staten Island. Uh, she played Pete Davidson's aunt. She's hysterical and a great person. Uh, the 19th or the 20th, she's taking me with her to Utica. I don't know if that's – I think that might be a romantic getaway now. I can't even tell if that's actually <laughs> – maybe I'm dating Lynn and I don't know it. Utica, I'm, New York. I'm kidding. It's like uh, – as she calls me, she goes, you're like my stupid younger brother. That's how she treats me. <laughs> um, obviously, we got the 20, the uh, the 25th. I'll be at the Dojo of Comedy. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not the 25th, the 24th, the day before Thanksgiving. I'll be at the Dojo of Comedy over in Morris Plains. Uh, a couple of really good comics on that channel, uh, lineup going to be good over there. Uh, I think the 27th, I'm going to be at uh, Rhino Comedy in Suffern, New York. Uh, also got to plug two things that are upcoming that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, January 6th, 7th, and 8th, I will be in where it's the Revenge Tour, baby. Austin. I tried to get out to you last time. <laughs> Spirit Airlines had other plans, but I'm coming, baby. Austin, Texas, the 6th, 7th, and 8th, I'll be there with the great Mike Cannon, one of my great buddies in comedy, one of the funniest stand-ups going today, man. I'll be featuring for him all weekend at the Creek in the Cave over in Austin, Texas. Please come out for that one. And then just added now, uh, February 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th, I will be in Tampa at Side Splitters, again, featuring for my friend Lynn Coplitz. And then I think I'm probably going to sneak up to Jacksonville on the 21st, Dad, and maybe we'll do a little bit of a, 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 a traveling headliner show over at Rain Dogs. Wait a minute, didn't you just escape from Jacksonville and now you're going back? Yeah, now it's my, <laughs> I have to go there and try to find other people that want to be liberated. Okay. I can come back like uh, like MacArthur, Dad, I have returned. I'm thinking Tubman about, you know. Uh, <laughs> Harriet Tubman. <laughs> Harriet Tubman. <laughs> Escape from Jacksonville. Oh, uh, the baddest. So anyway, this was an awesome episode. Kahuna, thank you so much for your time. Thank you to Mike and me who take great care of us. Thank you to the listeners over of American Loser. It means a lot to us that you guys support the show. It means that much more if you're a founding loser over on Patreon. Don't you worry, guys. A couple more merch things coming up here. A couple more great episodes. Thank you to my father uh, for all the, the help that you did. And the last thing we have to shout out is there's a YouTube channel, an interesting guy uh, known as the History Guy. That's what he calls himself, all right? A little pretentious, but um, <laughs> I'm kidding. He seems like he's going to be dry and boring because he wears a bow tie and talks right into the camera when he's giving you these stories. But the stories he's collecting are fascinating. It was an extremely valuable asset for us to take for uh, our you know, purposes here, our, our piracy, if you will. <laughs> there you go. So uh, he made the sloop of war. We turned into the Shenandoah, baby. But uh, check out the history guy over on YouTube. Some really cool stuff down that wormhole there. And he just seems like a good guy. And uh, he'd probably be a fun dude to talk to. Maybe we'll try to get him as a guest on this show. But that was the final shots of the American Civil War. The CSS Shenandoah. I'm KP Burke. And this was American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. <laughs>